Let's look today at our passage, a very familiar passage of Scripture from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. It says, When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. For truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room and close the door, and you pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they'll be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, verse 9, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts, as we've also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning, we're going to begin a four-week series on prayer entitled, When You Pray. Now, in preparation for this series, I felt like the Lord laid it on my heart for a few different reasons. First, like, because prayer, like all spiritual disciplines is something that we have to learn how to do, and then often we have to refresh it in our lives, afresh and anew. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Zach, I've never been taught how to pray, and that could be a, a, an opportunity for you during this season to learn the spiritual discipline of prayer. Or maybe that you, you do, but you're, you know your prayer life is not where it needs to be. This will be a season, like all spiritual disciplines, where we're going to put our hands to it afresh and anew. Secondly, I felt led to do it because during a season of 21 days of prayer and fasting, it, it only made sense to be a time, hey, let's, let's elevate our season of prayer while we're calling our church to pray. But then finally, church family, I felt like the Lord laid it on my heart for this reason. He affirmed it in, in prayer this last week. I feel like God is saying to us here at Enon Baptist Church, I want to draw you near. I, I feel like the Lord is saying to us afresh and anew that He wants to draw His people Near, And that's essentially what prayer does. You know, one of the most important people in my life was the man who led me to faith in Christ. He was a man named Jerry Turner. Uh, He led me to faith in Christ, and then he discipled me early on in my relationship with the Lord. I didn't even know that's what he was doing, but he was. He was a youth minister, volunteer, but he was a firefighter for Gardendale. And so he, uh, he he would work 24 on it at 48 off. And I remember during those, the times where he was off, he would call me and he'd say, Hey, Zach, I'm going to go up to the church and pray. Would you like to join me? Well, I'm a new follower of Jesus and I know nothing. And I'm like, well, sure, I'll, I'll join you. We'll go to, this little, we'd go to our little youth room and I'd go to one side of the room and I would kneel and pray. And he would go to the other room, side of the room and he would kneel and pray. And, and I would pray for just a few minutes because that's all I had to say. It's like, hey, God, you know, you're awesome. This is great. You know? and, and then once I was kind of done praying, I, I, I would just kind of quietly listen to Jerry pray. And Jerry was a man who would weep and cry and call out to God. And it was just, I was learning how to pray, how to interact with God, even just through listening to him pray. And I could sense the presence of God in the room. And it never failed that towards the end of that prayer time that he would pause for a moment and then I would feel a hand on my back and I would have this man pray over me that I would be a young man of prayer. Church family, one pastor said, the Bible says in James chapter 4, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. The God of heaven waits to meet with his children and he invites them into his holy presence. 
And prayer is the most natural means by which we knock on the door to the abode of God and are thereby invited in. Isn't that good? Prayer is the means by which we knock on God's door and God says, come in. And this passage is going to be our guide in Matthew chapter 6 over these next couple of weeks. In this famous chapter of Matthew 6, it likely holds the most famous prayer in the world, the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, we're given here not only a teaching on prayer, but also a model on how to pray. The prayer finds itself in the greater context of the Sermon on the Mountain, which was Jesus' first major teaching moment of his ministry where he essentially inaugurates what a new relationship with God would look like through him. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus not only gives some grand theological truths, but it also shows that those of us who are his followers, how we would interact with him and how we should relate to him in prayer. See, Jesus knew that he was coming to proclaim the kingdom of God and to ultimately pay the penalty for sin and that he would return to the Father for a season until it was time for his second coming at the end of the age where he would come to rule and reign. But Jesus knew... That in the in-between time between his first coming and his second coming, that prayer and the ministry of the Holy Spirit would be vital to the lives of his followers. So the Lord's Prayer, he's showing us how to pray and how to interact with him. Church family, my prayer for us during this season on prayer is not that we would learn more about prayer intellectually alone, but that we would simply begin to pray. That we would pray more. Personally, my favorite sermons on prayer are the ones that move me to pray. And this is my heart in the weeks to come. That we would be a people that as we are invited into the presence of God, that we go and meet with God. So today, the title of our message is Preparing for Prayer. And we're going to look at the first couple of verses there, which is essentially the introduction to the Lord's Prayer. We'll get into the Lord's Prayer next week. But verses 5 through 8 is where we're going to land today. So if you're keeping notes this morning, our first truth today is the first thing that this passage shows us about prayer is that Jesus expects his people to pray. Here at the beginning of this introduction, before Jesus is going to give us these incredible truths In the Lord's Prayer, he starts off with these words, When you pray. And this is the title to our series, When You Pray. Notice Jesus didn't say here, if you pray. And he didn't say, you know, on occasionally when you pray. But he says, when you pray. The reason why he says that is because the entirety of the New Testament shows that followers of Jesus, that our lives should be marked by prayer. In Luke chapter 18, as Jesus is later teaching his disciples about prayer, the Bible says that he was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. At all times they ought to pray. In Acts chapter 2 verse 42, we see the the early actions of the first church. And this is what it says. It says that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is what the early church did. They gathered to pray. And then I love what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, to the church there at Thessalonica. He tells them, pray without ceasing. Essentially here, if you read the New Testament here, you see a couple of things about prayer. And it's very clear that we are to be a people of prayer. So here in Matthew chapter 6, is Jesus is about to give this pinnacle instruction on prayer. 
He starts off by giving the people, by calling the people to the fact that we are to be a people who pray. Prayer is expected, even a commanded thing in the lives of God's people. He says, when you pray. If we believe, I believe that Jesus knew the diligence of prayer. He knew that it was something that we were going to struggle in. So he knew that early on we would need not just the details of prayer, but he would need the demand of prayer. Now, how many of us here today would say, yes, I've struggled in prayer. I struggle in my prayer life. I, I've never met anybody who says, you know what, I think I'm praying enough. I think I've got that figured out. And I think that's why Jesus starts off here. Church family, I would like all of us today to do a spiritual inventory of your prayer life. How often do we genuinely pray and meet with God? I'm not talking about just the 911 prayers. How many of you ever prayed those 911 prayers? Oh, Lord, I'm in the middle of a situation. Hey, and by the way, those are right and good, and God invites us to pray those kind of prayers in those situations. But, but how often, aside from those, are we just putting aside time to meet with God, to truly come into the presence of God? Now, honestly, for many of us, it's less than we would like to admit. And the problem with most of us here today is that we will say the, the greatest hindrance to that, to our prayer life, is just that we are too busy. But I want you to hear something here today. We are never too busy to pray. A great encourager for that today is Martin Luther. Now, Martin Luther, the great reformer of the church, he was a busy guy, okay? He reformed the church from the, brought the gospel uh, to the Roman Catholic Church. He translated the Bible from Latin into German, which was one of the first translations that people could actually read. He was persecuted. He wrote dozens of things. He was starting churches. I mean, this guy was a busy guy. This is what he said about his life. He said, work, work from morning until late at night. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Work, he said. Work. Go be diligent, but I've got so much to do that I must spend three hours in prayer to even be able to do it. See, Martin Luther knew the spiritual principle that in God's kingdom, his people's time is never divided in prayer, but it is only multiplied in prayer. Because in the kingdom of God, when I am praying, I am then empowered with the Spirit of God. And I can do more with God with less time than I can with more time in and of my own strength. Church, if we're to, if the bride of Christ, if we are to be found anywhere, we are to be a people of prayer. Jesus said, my house shall not be called a house of preaching, should not be called a house of singing, not should be called a house of service and all these things. First and foremost, Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer. And so this is the first truth we see here from this text, when you pray. The second thing we see from this passage about prayer is that Jesus instructs his people on how to pray. After Jesus introduces the teaching with a clear call to pray, he then begins to instruct his followers on how they are to pray. Now again, next week we're going to get in the bulk of the Lord's Prayer as we, uh, as we look at his instructions on the content and the pattern of what to pray and what a conversation with God should look like. However, today we see in verses 5 and 8, Jesus instructs his followers not about the pattern of our words in prayer, but rather the position of our hearts in prayer. Essentially, what he's saying here in verses 5 through 8 is what is the position of our hearts? How do we even rightly enter into a moment in the kingdom of God? Again, next week we'll talk more about what the actual conversation of God could look like and a pattern in that. But first we've got to know what should our heart, our motivation, what should our goal in prayer be? 
So there's several lessons in this passage that can help instruct us on our position of our hearts in prayer. I'm going to give those to you this morning. First, this passage shows us that the position of our hearts in prayer should not be to impress men. It should not be to impress men. In the latter part of verse 5, Jesus speaks about the sin of hypocrisy of people who are praying only that they may be seen by men. He says in verse 5, When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. Which, by the way, I love that Jesus is a God of love. But to say that Jesus never called out sin or Jesus never addressed sin is a little off base when you look at Scripture. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. It's important to note that Jesus is not condemning all public prayer here. It is right in the eyes of God for someone to give thanks before a meal or pray in a worship service from the platform or or be gathered together in a home and somebody lead in a moment of prayer. God invites these moments. But here in this text, Jesus is speaking about the positions of someone's heart who cares little about communing with God and more about being seen by others. This type of prayer is repulsive in the eyes of God. Notice that Jesus says that these people have their reward in full, meaning that they should expect nothing from the treasury of God and that their only gain will be the fading glory of man. Now let me say this to us here today, church. The reason why we need to bring this up is because performance praying is still a temptation for God's people. It's important to remember that in praying... In preaching, in serving, in sharing, in whatever we do, we do it as unto the Lord rather than for men. We should make it our ambition that our zeal for God in public should never exceed our zeal for God in private. Does that make sense? If you're all fired up about God on Sunday morning, but that fire's gone on Monday morning, then something's wrong. God cares as much about your heart as you pray as He does the content Of what you're saying. Psalmist spoke about this in Psalms 19 verse 14. You see that he considers not only what he's praying. But even the heart of his prayer. He says let the words of my mouth. And the meditations of my heart. Be acceptable in your sight O Lord. My rock and my redeemer. Now church some of you here today pray less than you should. Simply because you're intimidated by it. If I've heard it once as a pastor, I've heard it a million times. Pastor, I have a hard time praying because I'm just not very good at it. And they're usually saying that because they're comparing themselves to others. And I want you to know this morning that the faithful words of the humble and contrite heart will do far more in heaven than the many eloquent words of the religious. God doesn't want rehearsed prayers. He wants real prayers. He wants to hear from you. He wants your heart. And this is what God is looking for. Secondly, this passage shows us that the position of our hearts in prayer should not be to try to impress God. This does not mean that we shouldn't honor God. But basically, when you look in uh, verses 7 through 8, we see Jesus is speaking about the prayers of the Gentiles. Look at verses, uh, chapter 6, verses 7 through 8. He says, And when you're praying... Do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they'll be heard by their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask of Him. Now, here in this passage, Jesus mentions the repetitious prayers of Gentiles. Now, most scholars believe that He's referring to a people here 
who were praying to pagan gods. These would be idol worshipers. And that they believed that if they recited certain incantations or prayers, that they could gain the attention of their God simply through the frequency and the fervency of their prayers. Now, hear me this morning. There's nothing wrong with repetitively laying a prayer before God. Maybe you're asking for somebody in your family to be saved. Maybe you're asking for the kingdom of God to come to your home. The Bible speaks about, in Luke chapter 18, a widow woman who is going before God regularly asking for justice. And he uses that for an illustration of regularly taking something before God. There's nothing wrong with that. But the difference in this passage, what Jesus is speaking about, and, and somebody who is repetitively, they know God, and they're just repetitively bringing a burden before God, Versus somebody who's just saying a pattern of prayer over and over again to try to, get a, to try to get the attention of a God that they don't really know or they're distant or separated from. The difference is relationship here. See, one group is trying to impress a God that they do not know. But another group, the right-hearted prayer, are those who are calling out to a God in whom they have a real relationship with. The difference between Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, the key really to meeting with God in hopeful, life-giving prayer versus hopeless, lifeless prayer is a genuine relationship with God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, he says, So do not be like them, for your Father, that is huge there, knows what you need before you even ask Him. Here in verse 8, Jesus highlights how in him prayer is centered around a genuine relationship with God, which is different from many in his day and even ours today. Pagan, hopeless religion says we should do as much as we can to try to get the attention of God, with prayer often being a part of that. However, the good news of the gospel of Jesus is not that we have to do a list of things to get to God, but that rather God did one incredible thing in becoming flesh and coming to this earth and dying for the sin of the world to get to us. And that relationship changes everything. I can't tell you how many religious people that don't have a real relationship with God that you can notice it by their lifeless prayers. They pray in desperate moments and they pray in certain moments because they, they feel like they're trying to throw pennies into a wishing well to a God in whom they hope to be able to connect with. This is not prayer in the Bible. This would be the same as these Gentiles' prayer. But the truth is Jesus is calling to a real relationship that is inaugurated through Him. Is that if your prayer here today is that your, if your prayers today are more attributed to you calling out to a God who is a stranger to you, and not to a father. And there's a difference in the God you're praying to and the God who his people are praying to. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6 speaks about how a genuine relationship with God was achieved and how it impacts our prayers. It says, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem that idea of buying back those who were under the law so that we might receive the spirit of adoption as sons. Because God has sent forth the spirit of His Son into our hearts, we can cry, Abba, Father. For those of us who know Jesus, you're crying out to a God in whom you know. Through Jesus, God is not distant. He's not uninvolved. He's not unattentive. But rather, He is a loving Father. And I'll say this to you this morning, church family. 
One of the main reasons why I believe people have a hard time being consistent in prayer could often be that they just don't truly know the Father. You may know religion, but you may not truly know Jesus. So I want to give you just a few things this morning about what you need to know about how to come into a relationship with the Father. The first thing you need to know is that we were all separated from God through our sin and that we're all sinners. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 that we're all dead in our transgressions and sin. And then verse 3 says that we are by nature children of wrath, meaning that God is separated from us. We are prepared to endure His wrath. We're not His children. We are His enemies is what Scripture would say. But we also need to know that God loved us enough. He didn't want to leave us in that situation. And so the sin that separated us from Jesus was taken by Jesus on the cross and paid for. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 12 through 13 says, Remember that you were at the time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. Listen to this. Without hope. And without God in the world, this is all of us. And it's often manifested even in our prayer life. You're just calling out to a God in whom you do not know. And it's hopeless prayer. But in Jesus, look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's what the cross was about. It was about Jesus taking all of our sin, past, present, and future, to bring us into a relationship with God. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ died once for the sin of all, the just for the unjust. Look at this. So that he may bring us to God. If you're here today and you want to deepen your prayer life, the first step is to give all your devotion to Jesus. If you want to begin to pray well, you got to love well, you got to know Jesus well. And that's where this begins. It begins at the gospel. You know, the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross that a lot of things took place. It's actually one of the greatest ways that we can validate the, the truths of Scripture because if these things had not taken place, then the Gospels would have never gotten off the ground. People would have said, there's no way that happened. I was around during that time. But the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross that one of the things that was miraculous that happened that it became dark in the middle of the day. That earthquakes happened and took place. It even said that the saints of old, some of the old dead saints, raised from the grave and were walking around preaching in Jerusalem. I feel like we would remember that. Let me tell you, something else happened, though. It happened in the temple. In the temple where the people of God met for thousands of years, there were the outer court, the inner court, and then what was called the Holy of Holies. Inside the Holy of Holies was where the Ark of the Covenant rested. It was where uh, the remains of the Ten Commandments were in that Ark and, and other artifacts that were holy to the people of God. And the Bible would say that only once a year could a, a priest come into the Holy of Holies. And in that place, the glory of God, the presence of God, the nearness of God would be manifested. And if this one priest would go, he would atone for the sins of himself and then the sins of the people. But everybody else on the outside, they had to expect that one man could go into the presence of God for them. But they could never do that because of their sinful state. But rather through Jesus, once he paid the penalty for sin on the cross, the Bible says that that veil, that partition was ripped from top to bottom. Basically, that which separated God from man was torn and it signified to the entire world that now through Jesus, we can come to God. Those of us who were once afar off can now cry, Abba, Father. 
If you're here today and you want to go deeper in prayer, the first thing you've got to do is come to know Jesus. And the last thing this passage shows us about the position of our hearts in prayer is that we should be there to commune and meet with God. And this is where Jesus talks about the place of prayer. This is uh, my most excited part about this passage. It says in verse 6, But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now here in verse 6 of the people's position, the position of the people's heart in prayer that Jesus is calling the people towards here is vastly different than those who are just praying for public recognition and to those who are praying some repetitious prayers in order that some distant God may hear them. But no, Jesus in verse 6 gives us a picture of what genuine communion with God would look like. And it's a picture of intimacy. It's a picture of you going in to meet with God. And there's a few lessons here that I believe can help us deepen our prayer life today. First, to deepen our communion with God in prayer, we need to find a private place. Go into your inner room and close the door and pray. Jesus calls the people to find an intimate, secret, quiet place here for several reasons that can aid our prayer life. First, a private place of prayer aids our concentration in prayer. How about all of us recognize today that one of the greatest things the devil would want to distract us from is prayer. And we live in the most distraction-filled day likely in the history of the world. I heard a pastor say one time, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And that's often what happens. But yet Jesus is calling people to go into an inner room, to close the door, to put aside all distractions so that we can go and meet with God. I would encourage you here today, if you want to deepen your communion with God, that we have to do that. We have to pull aside from everything else. There's going to be times when you've got to turn your phone off, glory to God. I remember I told the first service, you know, there was a day in which we didn't need cell phones to live. I remember growing up on Reno Street just right down the road, and when I was a little kid now, I would get on my bicycle after my mom left for work in the morning. My dad was already gone. I would ride my bicycle down Stouch Road. I would go to Sandlin's Grocery. How many of y'all remember Sandlin's Grocery? I would go to Sandlin's Grocery. I would get a Coke. I would go across the street to the fisherman's shop. I would get a bag of crickets. I would drive, ride my bicycle all the way back to my grandparents' house. I would fish all day. And we didn't come home until our mom got home at dark. And nobody ever called to check on us. Nobody worried about us. And everybody lived through it. Church family, can I say something to you here today? You can turn that phone off to go meet with God. And you should. Find that quiet place, closing that door. Also, a private place of prayer aids our consistency in prayer. While intimate prayer can take place anywhere, and that is true, something that Jesus points out here, essentially he's talking about finding a place in their home that they could go to regularly to meet with God. All throughout Scripture we see God as a God of order, and he uses organization and routine in the lives of his people to aid in their worship. So church family, I would encourage you today to go home and make a place of prayer in your home. It could be a closet. It could be a room. It could be an attic. It could be a chair. It could just be in the corner of a room where you turn your face to the wall where you go and meet with God. And I would say that consistency needs to be in your personal life, but it also needs to be here at the church. And we're going to do that here at Enon. We're going to challenge you to pray daily and meet with God. 
We're going to make prayer a part of our weekly gathering. We're going to do once a month prayer, monthly prayer. And I encourage you to make a point to be there. And then seasonally as a church, we're going to do moments like this 21 days of prayer and fasting because we believe that prayer matters. George Mueller said this, Only a life of prayer and meditation will render a vessel ready for the master's use. If we want to be a people that God uses, then we've got to be a people of prayer. Also, a private place of prayer encourages real confession and consecration. Again, the idea of going alone is not just so you don't hear other people, but other people don't hear you. And why is that important? Because a regular part of the Christian life is to get real. A regular part of the Christian life is to confess our sin. To go before God and get real. Consecration means to you, you dying to yourself and surrendering your life afresh and anew. And church family, let me tell you something. When I get real with God, I don't want you to hear it. And can I say something? I don't want to hear when you're praying and meeting with God. You need to have a place where you can go and get with God and get real with the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, he was asked one time, what do you do with counseling people who come to an altar to pray? He said, leave them alone. And this was why. He said, does a wounded stag not go to die alone? Church family, sometimes I need to get before God and die. And the Bible actually calls me to die daily. And I need a private place to go do that. To crawl up on that cross afresh and new and say, oh Lord, show me the areas I must die to. For your name and glory. And then a private player encourages real commitment. I, I love, this may be a little sanctified imagination here, but I, I do like the picture here. Jesus says, go into this room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. Now, here's, here's the truth. It's, inference, it's an inference here. It's not specifically referenced, but when you're done in that time of prayer, what do you got to do? You've got to go open that door again to leave. And so what Jesus is saying here is there's got to be a starting place and an ending place and your time with God. He's basically referring to a moment with God, a specific time in which you meet with God. And what does that look like often for us? Is that often we don't really finish those moments because we're too much of a hurry. Church family, what I would say to us here today is that most of us, and this is me included, we need to linger with God a little longer. Is that often our prayer time can look like us going before God, praying this, 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 this. God, I'm giving you these, 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 these things. You rattle off your list and you say, amen, you get up and go. And you've not given any moment for God to speak. Rather, our focus, the position of our hearts in prayer should be, God, I've come here to meet with you. And I'm not leaving until I have. I love what Adrian Rogers said one time. He said he was in a moment of prayer. And the devil was distracting his mind regularly, and he was wanting to quit. But he said, finally, the Spirit of God rose up within him. He said he rose to his knees, and he said, Devil, if I die on my knees, I won't get up until I've met with God. Church family, that should be what our times with God looks like. The old generations used to call it praying through. Anybody else ever prayed through before? Say, God, I'm I'm going to a place of prayer, and I'm not leaving until I've met with you. And so first, to deepen our walk with God, our prayer life, we need a place, a private place of prayer. Secondly, to deepen our communion with God in prayer, we need need to focus on the Father's love. I I won't go into this much more. We just said it a few moments ago. But notice in verse 6, he says, when you you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, he mentions it twice here, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Again, you go to prayer with the gospel in your mind. 
I'm not worthy to come before God in prayer. But I don't have to be worthy because of Jesus. Church, this morning, if we only went and prayed the times when I was worthy to go, I would never meet with God. But I don't go in my own worth. I go to my Father who has purchased my redemption and who has paved my path to go. Can I say something to you here today? God loves you in Jesus and he's invited you to come and pray. He's invited you to come and pray. And then finally today, to deepen our communion with God in prayer, we need to ask God for a greater faith. One of the main reasons why I believe we are often less enthusiastic about prayer because I wonder sometimes, do we really believe that it matters? We might not say that that's true, but if you look at our lives, that really may be true. But this passage... Not only does Jesus give his followers a beautiful picture of somebody having an intimate time with God in prayer, but he also closes this verse with a promise that to those who live in prayer, that they should live with an expectation that God is going to hear and answer. He says in verse 6, Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, it should go without saying today that we know that not every prayer that we pray, God is going to answer in the way that we desire to. However, I do wonder sometimes if we've explained away, excused away faith out of our prayers sometimes. Rightly, we've pushed away from a name it and claim it gospel, which is absolutely not true, to where sometimes we've let the pendulum swing go so far to now we don't even pray and believe that God can do anything. And what I would say to you here today, church, is that this passage tells us that those who go meet with God in prayer, that we should come with an expectation that God wants to answer. We should believe that what is done in secret, God will answer in plain sight. Church, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that God wants to answer our prayers? I believe that people who believe fully pray fervently. If I believe fully, I believe it impacts the way I pray fervently. Church family, do we really believe that when we pray for our lost neighbors that God is working on the inside that we can't see? Church family, do we really believe when we see brokenness in our community and we pray that God is really working in ways that we might not always see? Church family, do we really believe when we call out to God that He would move and work among us here at our church that God is moving and working? And I would say exhibit number one, us praying and saying, God, would you do a work among the next generation? And we baptized six teenagers this morning. How many churches in America today would praise God and go back, do backflips with the fact that God even had teenagers in their church this morning. Church, God is answering prayers. I can do a survey of my life and I can say that God has answered way more times than he's not. Leonard Ravenhill said in his book, Revival Prayer, often we hear in prayer, Lord, thou art able to do this. He said that is a very good prayer and may build the faith of he who prays. But saying God is able is not faith. Saying God will is greater faith. He said, my theology says that God can do it, but on the faith end, I often fail. 
He said, I have said it before, that one of these days someone will read the Bible for the first time, believe it and act on it with daring, simple faith. Then we longtime believers will bow in shame, crying, Lord, help my unbelief. Church family, let's ask God today to revive us in faith to pray. One of my greatest personal illustrations of this is my sweet wife sitting on this front row. Every year, she does a one-year Bible, and she does a journal. She's a lot better at journaling than I am. Ladies, in general, usually are than men. One of the first things that she does is she writes on the front page of that journal prayer requests for that year. And the first time that she did that, they were hard. I mean, these were big family prayers, things in her own heart and life. And often those prayer requests were tear-soaked pages. But then at the end of every year, she goes back and looks at those pages. And I can remember the first year she did that when she came in with tears in her eyes. And over half of those prayers that she had written on that first page were marked out that God had answered. Not every one of them, but almost every one of them. And so what did she do? The next year, she got another journal. Those that God didn't answer, she started off with those. And then she laid a few more before the Lord. That's been almost 15 years now. And I can say that sometimes those prayers that she prayed for 5 to 10 years, all of a sudden one year, God stepped in and answered. And so when I get up in the morning at 5 a.m., And I walk downstairs and I see my wife sitting there meeting with God with her earbuds in her ears. And she's meeting with God and her face is turned towards heaven and I can see her mouth moving. I know that she's praying in faith because she started somewhere. God has proven himself and now it's a whole lot easier to keep laying that before him. And church family, I think for all of us here this morning, we just got to start somewhere in faith. We got to say, oh God, I'm going to be desperate and I'm going to believe and I'm going to trust you and believe that God will Reward that God will answer. I'm going to ask Miss Tracy to come this morning and she's going to play softly. And I know I've put a lot in front of you here today about prayer. Some of you, I believe, already have some good first steps that you need to do. Man, I've got dozens and dozens and dozens of stories, specific stories, man, where God stepped in and answered specific prayers and there was part of me as your pastor that wanted to leave today with some great encouraging story that look how God answered go pray but I was I was convicted that that would be me coaxing you to prayer and the reality is is I can't make you be a people of prayer is that God has to call us up to that the only way we become a people of prayer is we just start praying when we become men and women of prayer is we just start praying and believing that God is going to meet us there in it. And I promise you, church family, if we'll take one step towards God, God will meet us right there today. And so I would ask you in Jesus' name, would you let your prayer be today? Oh, Father, let me be a man or woman of prayer. How do we become a church that prays? We won't ever be a church that prays in public if we're not a church that prays in private. If our zeal for God in public is not just as passionate in private. So I would say this morning, oh God, make me a man, make me a woman of prayer. Let that be your cry today as we close. And the last thing I would say to you this morning, again, I would never call you to pray to a God in whom you do not know. 
Maybe this morning you came, you're a visitor or a guest. Maybe you've been here for a long time. Maybe you're really good at religion. Maybe you really don't know Jesus. The one who did die on the cross. Take all of our sin to invite us into his presence. That that veil was torn so that you can come near. Maybe you need to hear those verses here today that God wants to be your father. And you can come to know him right there where you are. Maybe some of you need to do that today and you know that. I'm going to invite everybody in this room just for a moment to bow your head, close your eyes. Just as a form of reverence of making a quiet place where you are. Prayer is important. And prayer plays a big part in us beginning a relationship with God. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm going to ask you something this morning, church family. Do you know Jesus today? If you don't, you can come to know him right there where you are. Jesus Christ can enter your heart and life right there where you are. Wash all of your sin away and make you a new creature in him. God's not just saving teenagers. He's saving senior adults. He's saving children. He's saving mamas and daddies. He's saving today because that's what he came to do. So maybe you'd pray right there from your heart to God. Maybe say, dear Jesus. If you need to come to know Jesus today, pray this right there where you are from your heart to God. Dear Jesus, I don't know you, but I want to. I know I'm a sinner, and I know I'm far from you. But I believe that you love me, and that you died on the cross for my sin. So I ask you, save me, oh God. I make you the Lord of my life. Save me, Jesus. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, this is just a private moment. I'm not going to embarrass you. This is going to be totally between you and I. But if you ask Jesus to save you this morning with nobody looking around, I just want you to do one thing. Would you just glance up at me? I just want to be able to pray for you here today. Is that you this morning? You say, Pastor Zach, I gave my life to Jesus this morning. Would you just glance up right there where you are? Just keep your eyes on me just for a moment as I survey the room. Is that you today? Don't worry about the people next to you. Again, this is a private moment between you and I. If you ask Jesus to save you this morning, would you just glance up? If you looked up at me this morning, this is what I would say. Before you leave here today, there's that little connect card in the seat back in front of you. Would you just mark on there, I gave my life to Christ today. Or as we close service today, maybe you'll come find me and let somebody know that you gave your life to Christ. We would love to be able to tell you about what those next steps look like, about what it looks like for you to walk with Jesus. As Brother Ken comes to lead us in song, I'm going to ask you to stand right there where you are. You can stand. Our pastors will be up front. If you need somebody to pray with you here today, you feel free to come. But I would say, church family, let this time be where you call out to God and say, Oh God, make make me a man or woman of prayer.